Well, none of us wishes to be known for the worst moment. Buffalo Bills kicker Tyler Bass doesn't want to be known for his wide right field goal attempt last Sunday in the playoff games against the Chiefs. There's more to Tyler Bass's story than one game. And I imagine the disciple Thomas would be really upset to know that his nickname for all of time is Doubting Thomas. Because he struggled to believe that Jesus had appeared to his friends alive after his death on the cross until he could see and touch the wounds of the crucifixion himself. You see, there's more stories in scripture about Thomas's believing heart than his doubting heart, but we don't mention those. There's more to Thomas's story than one doubting moment. And if you were to mention Jonah, whether in church circles or outside of church, we always think of one thing, right? The whale. Jonah and the whale. The story where a big fish swallows Jonah is three lines in the four chapters of Jonah. It's literally 0.006% of the story. But I get it, it's a whopper of a fish story. But perhaps there is more to Jonah's tale than a whale's tale. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story of Jonah, or maybe you've forgotten, we're learning in scripture that the Lord spoke to a prophet named Jonah and told him to go to a great city, the city of Nineveh, and to give them a message. He asked Jonah to tell them that he had seen their sin and they needed to repent and change their ways. But Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and with good reason. You see, Nineveh is the capital of the brutal, violent Assyrian Empire, an empire that had violently terrorized Jonah's people, the Israelites. They were Israel's fiercest enemy. They were Jonah's fiercest enemy. And so, instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah decides to go the opposite direction via a boat. And Jonah soon learns that it's not so easy to hide or run from God when a violent storm comes up and it threatens to break apart the ship. And so the the sailors, and worried about their life, and Jonah, noticing this, decides to fess up and tell what he had done. And he says, the only way to solve this and to save yourself is to throw me overboard into the sea. Well, the sailors, they look for any other option they can find, but finding none, they toss Jonah overboard and they pray to God that he will forgive them. And so, as soon as he hits the water, it says the storms calmed, the sea calmed, and Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. With three days and three nights to think long and hard about his choices, Jonah, from the darkened belly of a smelly fish, repents and prays to God. And then the fish vomits him up onto dry land. Covered in muck and smelly, I'm sure, and in need of a shower, Jonah hears from the Lord again with the same message, saying, okay, now go on now, Jonah. Go to Nineveh and tell them what I told you to tell them. And so Jonah reluctantly gets up, realizing he has received a second chance, and he knows, goes to Nineveh to tell them about their second chance. Well, like a teenager forced to do his chores, Jonah stomps into the city of Nineveh and delivers the shortest sermon ever. 
Eight words in our translation, five in the original Hebrew, saying 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all he says. And don't get any ideas about eight-word sermons coming from me. (laughs) After thinking he could run away from God, running into a violent storm, getting swallowed by a fish, puked up onto dry land, and given a second chance, this is all Jonah has to say. One would think he'd be bursting at the seams to talk about a God of second chances, full of grace and mercy, steadfast in love. But according to the scripture, this is all that comes out of his mouth. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. After receiving grace upon grace, chance after chance, Jonah obeyed God, went to Nineveh, and did as little as possible. Now, to Jonah's surprise and great disapproval, the sermon worked. The people of Nineveh believe in this foreign God. They pray, they grieve, they repent, they turn from their ways of harm. And even the king of Nineveh himself says, who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And verse 10 tells us that God did. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And everyone lived happily ever after. The end of the story. Except that there's one more chapter in Jonah. That isn't the end of the story. And perhaps this last chapter reveals the central part of this beautiful story from our Hebrew Hebrew scripture. You see, Jonah is angry with the Lord for changing his mind. And this is what it says in chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah says, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. Secondhand, second chance Jonah, still with the stench of a fish on him, is angry that God has granted a second chance to his enemies. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. What is a chorus found repeatedly in the Psalms is the very thing that Jonah complains about. We say thank you that this is who God is to us, but when God is this way to our enemies, we have a problem. But we don't get to receive second chances from God and rebuke second chances to our enemies goes on in chapter 4 after Jonah's rant to say this. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. 
But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and my favorite part, and also many animals. This is the ending of Jonah. It ends with an open-ended question so that the listener must think about what their answer would be. Should God be concerned with Nineveh? Should God not be concerned about our enemies, the one who hurt us, the one who causes us pains, the one who have oppressed us, the ones who have damaged us, the ones who we disagree with? We don't get to hear Jonah's reply to the Lord's question. We don't know if he had a change of heart or if he continued to pout under that withered bush. That's not really the point of the story. Like the big fish, it isn't about Jonah's answer. It's about our answer to the question. Should God not be concerned about our enemies? The ones who hurt us, the ones who have oppressed us, the ones who have caused us pain, the ones who have left us out, the ones who have abandoned us. Should God not be who God is, gracious and merciful, slow in anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from punishment? Should God not be that also for our enemies as God is for us? We're in a season of epiphany in the church calendar. The Greek word for epiphany means appearance or manifestation, and it refers to the appearance of God and the coming of Christ into our world. Epiphany officially begins on January 6th when we celebrate the wise men arriving and discovering the Christ child. And yet another creative twist in our, creative, our Christmas story, it was pagan astrologers who were among the first visitors to the manger. And although their occupation was expressly forbidden in Jewish law, they were welcomed and their gifts were received and they are part of your manger set. The season of Epiphany continues until Ash Wednesday as we in this season reflect on how God continues to reveal God's self to us and to our world. The season of Epiphany is about the revelation of God's presence, about who God is, often to the unlikely people and places, even to our enemies. The story of Jonah is full of surprises. A surprising storm, a surprising fish. A surprising deliverance. But perhaps the most surprising things are those that end up being the epiphany. The ones who help reveal something about God to Jonah and to us. Attempting to flee from God, Jonah encounters those foreign fishermen on the stormy seas who show more respect for God than Jonah does. And after God uses a fish to rescue him and Jonah begrudgingly goes on to Nineveh, <clears throat> it is the people of Nineveh, <clears throat> a pagan nation, who show Jonah and us what it means to hear from the Lord and to truly grieve 
and to turn from the ways that we harm one another and even ourselves. They are far more grateful for their second chance than Jonah was. And yes, even Jonah gets to be part of the epiphany with his reluctance and resentment as he proclaims God's message to Nineveh, even though his heart was not in it. You know, the Ninevites, they're not punished or they're left out because of of God's mercy, because of Jonah and his lack of compassion. It's Jonah who punishes himself by refusing to receive the wide embrace of God's mercy and grace. The message of Jonah seems to be that God's love and concern for the world is much broader and wider than most of us would like to think. All around us, we see a world that pits one another against each other, that welcomes and encourages division and demonization of the other. We let people and nations fight one another. We assign God's favor to one person or group over another. And the story of Jonah reminds us that God refuses to be owned by any group or even owned by our good moral behavior. This is not the heart of God. God is relational, not transactional. God is just, not fair. God is redemptive, not retaliatory. God wants to transform and change lives, and he wants us to be a part of that, God wants us to be part of the healing that happens among our enemies and our world. God wants us to join God in breaking down walls that divide. God wants us to be part of the epiphany and revealing who God is and how God loves. An old rabbi asked his pupils a question, asked them how could they tell when night had ended and day had come? And one of the pupils said, well, teacher, is it when you can look off in the distance and you see an animal and you can tell the difference between a sheep and a dog? The rabbi says, no. Another pupil says, well, rabbi, when you look off in the distance and you can tell the difference between a peach tree and a fig tree? The rabbi says, no. Well, what is it, they demanded. And the rabbi said, it's when you can look into the face of the other and you see your brother or sister. Until then, it's night. For most of us, me included, day hasn't come yet. It's still night. I still struggle to see the face of a brother and sister and those that are enemies or that I disagree with. God chose to love Jonah, even in his sulky anger. And God chose to love the Ninevites, even though they persistently violated God's ways. And God chooses to love us, even when we rush to judgment, withhold compassion and mercy from others, let fear tell the story, And yes, even when we bring harm to the world like the Ninevites. In this time of epiphany, we need continual reminders 
of who we are to God and each other. As God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God sent us an announcement. God sent us an announcement, not in word, but in the word made flesh. God sent us an announcement in the person of Jesus Christ to remind us who we are and how God loves us and one another. Compassion, which mirrors the heart of God, comes when we set aside judgment and focus on what we have in common. Our God-given identity as beloved children, who have discovered in Jesus that we are beloved not because of who we are or what we've done, but because we are the beloved in God. And may the light of Christ illuminate us so that we might see the face of the other as our sister and brother for the glory of God and the good of this world. Let's pray together. We begin to practice leaving some moments here before we sing to truly just respond. And so with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to think upon some things, maybe things the Spirit is already prompting in your heart. For some of you, I can't begin to understand the pain that someone has caused you. There is nothing easy about this call for Jonah or for us. God's mercy and grace is not just to set others free in love, but to set us free in love too. God wanted to bring healing to the Ninevites and Jonah. Most Christians will say, I'll go wherever Christ leads me. But what would you do if Christ says, I want you to go to the one who hurt you and love them? Would you go? I want you to go to the ones who have caused you pain, the ones you struggle with and disagree with. I want you to go not with judgment, with a, but with a message of God's love and mercy. Would, would we go? Maybe God's call to forgive and love our enemies is how God plans to heal us too. And maybe for some of you, the biggest enemy in your life right now is you. The person you most angry with, the person you're the hardest on, the person you most refuse to forgive is yourself. God's message is the same for that enemy as well. That God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment toward you. God can heal you and help you to love yourself as God loves you. As we spend a few moments in silent prayer now, what enemy is God bringing to your awareness? Bring them before the Lord and ask God to begin a healing work in you. Gracious and merciful God, forgive us our reluctance to open our doors and hearts to others. Some like us, some not. We repent of our hesitations and unwillingness to witness to those we've considered strangers and enemies for fear they might actually become friends. 
Forgive us for not loving and seeing ourselves as you see us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, begin a healing work in us and among us so we might bring a message of grace and mercy and love to a world and to those who've experienced so much pain. Perfect light, as you've shown in the life of Jesus, whose epiphany we celebrate, so shine in us and through us that we may become beacons of truth and compassion, people of the epiphany, revealing who you truly are to a world who desperately needs to know you. Amen.